and welcome to The Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week, we're here to bring you the strategies and advice you need to achieve your writing goals. That's right. This week, we're talking to Gina Jackson about book reviews and the things she's learned along the way about writing and reviewing. Jackson is a content writer, copywriter, and sometimes proofreader. She also reviews books and wants to create a podcast of her own for them. Gina and I started off talking about book reviews, but it actually ended up going way deeper than that. We covered diversity in fiction, common mistakes authors make in their books, and how to avoid those painfully common mistakes. I'm talking like 50% of books you read last year. Oh, and before I forget, this was recorded in November last year. That will affect a couple of the things that we reference, like how many books she's read and the kind, the time of the year and stuff like that. So I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that. I love it when the interviewees go off on tangents because they tend to have really valuable information for our listeners. They never tend to be useless tangents. I don't know. You and I have gone off on some pretty useless ones. Oh, not our ones. <laughs> just, just the ones the interviewees go off on. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely think that this interview is really, really valuable, even for people who don't write book reviews, because it's all the things that readers are looking for in books right now, and also the things that reviewers pick up on. So it's really invaluable information for writers of any kind. Sounds exciting. A big thank you to all our listeners who support us over on Patreon. We couldn't do this without you. As a patron, you get early access to episodes, bonus content, and our undying gratitude for supporting all the hard work that goes into making these episodes to inspire and motivate you. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash writer's mindset. Since today is all about books, I thought our question could be, what is your book of the moment? So what book right now are you like, oh my God, this is the shit. I recommend it. I love it. Maybe you've learned something or it's inspired you or you're just like loving the world that it's in or whatever. You get the point. I get the point. The book I'm going to recommend, and I did bring it here with me to show our lovely watchers on YouTube, mm. is uh, Take Off Your Pants by Libby Hawker. Because this, so this book is not a fiction book. This book is... It's not erotica. <laughs> it's not erotica. It's not actually about anyone taking off physical pants, I promise. The title comes from the debate of being a pantser or a plotter and that's where take off your pants comes from because Libby's encouraging you to not be a pantser, to not write or fly by the seat of your pants but instead to outline and to you know analyze what you're actually putting into the story. So as our Facebook group members will know I recently finished the first draft of my first novel <laughs> and so thank you very much, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm gonna go through and read some good books like this and just make sure I'm making that first book as good as I can be. So this book I've read before, but now I'm reading it again and it feels a lot more relevant because I actually have a book to think about now. <laughs> and I mean, I'm only 40 pages in and I've already made three or four pages of notes in my notebook about stuff wow. I need to do. Some of it is just to remind me, but a lot of it is going, oh yeah, I've got this, I've got that. And even if it's stuff I'm not necessarily adding to the book, it's stuff where I've gone, actually, I have done this part already, or just recognizing the pieces I've already got in place and knowing actually what they are and how they impact the story and how I, how I can make them stronger and how I can make the story, well, like I say, as good as it can be. So I would definitely recommend this book. 
I really enjoyed that book as well. I read it a few years ago now, and it definitely changed how I saw structuring a story in the very best of ways. And since then, I've definitely fell down a much deeper rabbit hole in terms of outlining books. You recommended that to me actually years ago. Um, Did I? That I didn't was, surprise me. It was not long after we became friends all those years ago. You recommended it to me then and I read it and I was like, this is amazing. And I made so many notes about what I was working on at the time. But then obviously I moved on. I never actually fully went into that project. So what would you recommend? And what is your book of the moment, Christina? My book, I don't have a copy of it to show off. I'll put it on the screen for YouTube people here. No, because that side. My book is 13 Steps to Evil, How to Craft Super Bad Villains by Sasha Black. And I recently finished reading this. Um, well, it was quite late at night, but I was going through the last chapter and the last chapter is on the climax of your book. And she talks about like the ways to be evil to your protagonist, because generally speaking, in the climax, the protagonist either wins or dies, basically. Right. But either way, your villain has to lose because that's the nature of a story. And she was talking about the ways to do it and how to milk it, I guess. And it made me think, oh, my God, I need to be more evil. I need to push this harder. I need to push my characters further. And I wrote that scene this morning. And I was nearly crying writing this scene. I'm not even joking because it was so emotional. Like it just had that much of an effect on me because obviously I'm really attached to the characters from Afterlife Calls. And this scene that I'm talking about is the culmination of the entire four book arc. It won't be the last book in the series, but it's the last book in this kind of arc with this one particular villain. And I am like, gagging to tell people about what happens in this scene like I tell you everything about what's going to happen in my book don't I Ellie you do and you are refusing to tell me what happens and I'm very excited to read it I'm going to need you to send it me now I can't send (laughs) it now it still needs editing but I do think you'll have it by the time this episode goes out I'm quite impressed though I mean I didn't think there would be anything out there book or otherwise that would help you the queen of torturing your characters (laughs) want to torture your characters even more so i mean that just bumps it up in my opinion straight away i think the thing is i had the original version of this scene and i really liked it and then i realized that i had to change it to tie it in with some stuff that happened earlier in the series but i didn't want to rewrite the scene because i was like oh, i really like what brady got i don't want to do it And I'm really glad that I read this book before editing this scene because it made me realize that I can include the stuff that I've already got, reference the stuff that's already happened and push my characters even further. So it is the most action-packed, dramatic, emotional climax I've ever written for a book complete with a tiny bit of comedy and a little bit of romance. So it's literally got all the things that I love about books and stories and films and stuff in one, one quite long scene. That's perfect. And it it drills home that message again that we always talk about, that I mention all the time, is that you never stop learning. You know, you are 16 books in and you're still going out, expanding your knowledge, reading other people's work and reading other people's advice to make your work as good as possible. And I think that's a good thing for our listeners to remember. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that I actually enjoy the most about writing is the fact that there is always something new to learn. Whether you're writing blog posts and trying to keep up with the search engines and what people are engaged with on social media or writing books and keeping on top of trends or looking for new ways to challenge yourself or want to try a different genre or whatever, there is always something. And for me, that's the fun of it. Yes, that's 
one of the reasons I decided I had to get into writing or that I could get into writing, should I say, was because you, it is a learned skill and you can get better and you will get better if you keep going. With Millie and me today is Gina Jackson. Welcome to The Rose Mindset. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So can you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? So I am Gina Jackson and I am a copywriter and proofreader and I review books. Very nice. So how did you actually get into book reviews? I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> I think <laughs> I've always, I always loved reading and I have done ever since I was a child. So I think it stemmed from just wanting to get to get free books, really. That's a, the best thing about it. Um, I also wanted to start monetizing my blog, not realizing that you can't do that with book reviews because nobody, you can't pay for book reviews, unfortunately. It's a it's frowned upon and possibly illegal. Um, so I signed up to a book tour company last October and um, he were looking for hosts and the rest is history. That's how I got into it. Very nice. So what sort of books do you actually review? Um, mainly fiction, if I can help it. I'm not a big non-fiction, not a big non-fiction fan, I'm afraid. Um, so I read mainly crime, fantasy, sci-fi and a hell of a lot of romance. One thing I've noticed is that sometimes when people write reviews, they often fall into recapping the plot rather than actually like dissecting the pros and cons of a book. Why mm -hmm. do you think this is and why can it sometimes be detrimental to do it? I think because they don't want to give away spoilers. So they recap the plot based on the synopsis that they've got because it doesn't give anything away and they kind of use that as a base. I know I've done it. I know I sometimes still go, oh, what would happen if this and this and this happened in the book? And I'm like, oh, that, that's the plot of the book, Gina. Like, start again, get rid of it and start again. So I kind of have to think about, um, yeah, what I liked and what I didn't like. If there's anything in the book that you know, would appeal to people who probably don't read that genre at the minute. So when I do my fantasy reviews, I often think, oh, somebody who reads, I did one the other day, well, not the other day, months ago, but it was very similar to Game of Thrones. So I said, people who like Game of Thrones would probably like this book, but people who like um, A Court of Thorn and Roses would also like it because it's got a really undercurrent of sexual romance tension in it. So I try and just bring other authors into it to try and match it up to the people that I'm trying to reach. What would you say are the most important criteria for actually putting a book review together? What things do you like always try to include regardless of what the book is or does it change depending on the genre? No, I have a template that I use. So I always have a picture of the book. Um, I always put in the synopsis that I get from the book tour company or from Amazon if it's on there. And I always try and put a little intro. So what the main sort of like a little review, like a little recap of how I thought of the book. So for instance, one of mine the other day was um, about a romance novel that um, was historical. And that's like my favourite, that's like my all-time favourite thing. So it was kind of like, oh, Scotland and pirates and a strong female character, I'm in. And that was kind of like the lead into the review. And then I put the synopsis and then I put the review. So people can kind of see that you've got, you've got a hook to get people in reading it, then you've got the synopsis so they know what they're actually reviewing. And then you've got the actual review where I say what was good and what was what was not so great, if the character's well-developed, what could be improved, you know, and, and a little two or three lines just about how 
the how I felt personally about the book. When you're actually putting those things together, do you try to be as objective as possible and like pick a, it apart, almost like you're doing a literature degree or an assignment for a literature degree, should we say? Or do you include like your personal opinion and let that kind of lead the way, if you will? I try and start with more um, like constructive kind of basis rather than it being my personal thoughts. I try and put my personal thoughts right at the end because nobody really cares what I I thought of it. They kind of just want to know if they're going to read it. So I try and start with what it is and how it works and whether the plot works and whether there was, you know, I've read I've read probably about 60 books this year and I would say about 30 of them had massive gaping plot holes. And you're just like, do I put that in my review or do I leave that out and hope that nobody else hears the reads about the massive plot hole? Or you can there was somewhere I've really, really enjoyed them and I just kind of wax lyrical about them for probably far too long. And I've done one where I absolutely, I loved it. The author, we, we're still in touch, one of my favourite people. And I probably wrote about 300 words on a blog review, which I've never, I've never done since. <laughs> and, but I just, that was all constructive though. That was, there was a few personal bits at the end, but yeah, I kind of try and make sure that, what I think personally doesn't come through as much because what I might like, somebody else might not and vice versa. How do you tell the difference between something that is your personal opinion and something that's more objective? I think if I'm writing it, if I use a lot of the word I, then I know that it's for me. Whereas if I say people will think this about the book, then I try and think it's subjective or I look on, I look at other people's reviews that have posted before me. I, I always, I always like it when I'm third or fourth day in so I can look at other people's reviews and kind of go, oh yeah, I never thought about that. I'll, I'll nick a bit of that and reword it. Um, so I try and look at other people's reviews and see what their reaction is to the book as well as what my own reaction is. And then I try and just create a broad view of the whole situation do you think having a writing background helps with that objectivity because it's part of your job to pick things apart yes yeah I definitely think both doing the book reviews and being a copywriter help each other so it's kind of it works both ways yeah I think whenever I tell people that fiction has transferable skills into copy they don't believe me until I mention how many authors started out as copywriters yeah yeah it's crazy it It is. is but they're foundational skills and then you just kind of take them in a different direction or you pursue both directions because yeah. you like to have all the different skills. Yeah, I think with copywriters, like I know a few copywriters who were authors and vice versa and who started off as one and, the, or, and got into the other. And I think it always says something that when I speak to them, we always come up with a new plot idea for something or other. And it's just like, how would you do, how would you rewrite Lord of the Rings how would you rewrite Game of Thrones and it's just like let's put your own stamp on something and we all come up with completely different ideas and I think that's that's what being a copywriter is right it's just picking out the best bits and working it to your own devices it is and I think regardless of what type of writing you do whether it's fiction poetry creative nonfiction, copywriting whatever you want to call it it's all about problem solving Mm -hmm. and being able to pull things apart and then kind of put them back together in a prettier way yeah, absolutely. I think that's very. I think that's a very nice way of putting it. Thank you. I've only just come up with it, and I'll probably forget <laughs> it after this conversation. 
when it comes to actually writing your book reviews, do you think there's an ideal length or do you, do you just let it be the length that needs to be? Book tour companies want it to be at least 70 words long because that's the minimum for Amazon. So if you're putting anything on Amazon, which I always forget, I've probably got about 40 reviews that I need to get on Amazon at some point or another, then that's the length. 70 words is the minimum that you're allowed. So we always, I always try and make sure it's at least 70. There have been reviews that have gone, that have probably been their own article and I could have published it on Medium or something because they're just so long because they've either been fantastic and I've wanted to really ramp home how good they are or they've been terrible and I've just gone through all the plot holes and then I can't publish that one so that's just like in a little drafts folder in my blog and I've posted a nice one where it's like okay it wasn't for me but this this and this were good I enjoyed this about it how do you actually approach those books that you don't like or you think from a technical standpoint are actually not that great do you communicate with the author how you felt um, I do pride myself on being honest. So there are times when I haven't even finished a book and I've had to write a review. And in them instances, I've kind of had to review the first part that I've done. I always try and get halfway through a book until I go, oh, I can't finish this. It's terrible. Like, I don't know where this is going. And I don't even, I don't like anybody involved at all. I'm just going to give up. And in those instances, I do often review the first half, but I do say things like, it's not for me. I think it'd be perfect for this sort of reader who might like this sort of author, but I would take it with like, I'd read it with an open mind, ignore the glaring problems with it. And often I do try and speak to the author on Twitter or on Instagram and just message them and just say, look, I didn't enjoy it as much as I hoped I would. It could just be that you need a copy editor or a proofreader. Hi, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Contact me if you need help. But it could be that your beta readers probably were, weren't too, weren't honest with you and didn't, or your editor wasn't honest with you. So I do try and give them more constructive feedback. Um, but yeah, I do try and make sure that I am honest, but I'm not just like, I hated it. It was rubbish. Nobody should read this book. Just get rid of it. Burn all copies. <laughs> Yeah, there's a way to give that negative feedback in a way that doesn't make you come across like a total cow. Yeah, I think I think that's I think it's really hard to do that as well. I think I've seen a lot of reviews of books that I've read and I didn't particularly like that people have gushed about. And then when I've messaged them, I'm like, oh, I didn't really like that, but oh yeah, I hated it as well. It's like, but your book review doesn't put that. Your book review is complete is a complete lie. And they're like, yeah, just uh, I couldn't I couldn't say that I didn't like it. Why? Just be honest. The author will appreciate it more than a load of one star reviews on Amazon when people buy their book based on your review. Give them a yeah. three star. Give them a three star. Just be neutral. Yeah, our authors want and also need that honesty. Even the authors who don't want the honesty, or they need it. Yeah. Because how else can you improve as a writer, you know? Yeah. You're not going to, are you? If you're constantly if you're constantly battling with people saying, oh my God, I loved it so much. It was amazing to your face. And then behind your back going, it was the worst thing I've ever read. How is that going to help yeah. anybody? Well, it doesn't, does it? And I think also it doesn't prepare writers. Because yeah. when you publish, people can be evil. That's just a fact. Some people will project their bad mood onto you when they post a review on Amazon, Apple, wherever. And so you have to be prepared for that. And if you've got book reviewers being honest with you in a diplomatic way, then that helps you much more and prepares you much more for what could happen. Yeah. And 
the thing every book will have a one star review from someone but why not give them a three star review and at least say find something that you did like about it even if it was one character who said one line in the whole 300 pages just put that in the book review and just say I liked this bit do you try and weigh up the pros and cons as much as possible when you are putting together um, a review yes I do I try and make sure that I've got I don't I don't want to put anything negative in it but I don't want it to just be gushing oh my god it was so fantastic and this is the best book I've ever read and there are a lot of people that read my reviews are like all your reviews are dead nice. I'm like, because I'm, I just try and be nice. I will always put something nice in my book review. Yeah, I do try and make sure that if there is something that isn't great about the book, that I make it, I spin it into a more positive thing than it just being, well, I didn't understand why this person travelled 700 miles in the space of a day walking. I'll put, I think the author could have maybe sorted out the timeline a bit better just to make sure that everybody, I got confused with the timeline. I wasn't quite sure. And I've done that in a few book reviews and authors have come back and said, I knew there was something that I did wrong there. Thank you very much for that. And it's it's just that building that relationship with your, with your authors and your peers to say, it's okay to just say what's wrong with a book. You don't have to be perfect. Definitely. And no book is perfect. Every book yeah. has something how do you try and find those things and like spin them in a more positive way, even if they are a really big negative? So during reading the book, I take a hell of a lot of notes. So every chapter has its own set of notes and they're all highlighted as to whether it's a character, um, a bit of plot, a bit of the timeline and what happens there. So I try and make sure that I've got something positive and negative in each chapter so even if it's just something like I don't know um I didn't like the implied tone of voice of something somebody said I'll just put I think sometimes obviously it's a book but the intention of a conversation didn't come out quite right I think it could have been worded better and that's one thing that I've said and then on the other side I've put but I really liked the scene where this happened because it was it tied into the plot it tied everything together it worked really well so I think that always helps when you've got something like a positive and a negative that you can kind of, even if it's a negative, where you can say, it would have worked better this way, but I can see why the author did it that way. I can see why they thought that was a good idea. And that shows the objectivity a bit more then as well, because you understand both sides of it, like why it works and why it was, why it happened in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, you can kind of see where, some reviewers fall down because they are just either all negative or all positive and I just think like a lot of the book reviews that I've read have been really really good and there are a few that I've given three stars to that probably deserved a lot less but I kind of want to make sure that people read a review and go okay that wasn't for her but it might be for me so I'm still gonna I'm still gonna try and read it and see what it's like. And a lot of the books that I read are on Kindle. So it's like they're on Kindle Unlimited, they're on, they're on for 99p. So you can kind of understand why people probably do buy them. When you're going through books and kind of dissecting them, are there things you notice that are really common things authors get wrong? Or maybe you notice the same authors making the same mistakes because they haven't taken previous reviews on board? I think the main one for me is... Um, Men cannot write women at all. And I love them for trying. I really do. But 
this is a shout out to all the male authors out there. Please do some research. Like, I do not get up in the morning and look down at my boobs. I just don't. They're there, they're there all the time. I don't need to look at them. They're, they're there all the time. I think it's weird. I think they just see us as a completely different breed. And I know we are quite different. That's fair enough. But yeah, I've read I've read a lot of scenes about main characters who are female. And I'm just like, I don't know anybody who would behave like that. I don't know. And also another thing is, and I think we've discussed this before, how female characters are seen as really weak and like diminished until they find out that they're the saviour of the world and then they can wield an axe like Gimli from Lord of the Rings. I'm just like, that doesn't <laughs> happen. That wouldn't, that wouldn't, that wouldn't happen. Please stop doing that fantasy, fantasy writers. There's a whole not- step that's missing, isn't there, when they do that? It's all very well and good. They didn't have any skills at the start but they then need to learn how to wield that axe before they can save the world. And even if you do like the literary version of a montage where you just show a little bit of that skill growth, at least then it's filling the gap rather than going to, from zero to all powerful. Yeah, and I think that's the problem with with some writers nowadays where they think that because Hunger Games did it and Game of Thrones have done it and who else? Well, lots, lots of people. Shadow and Bone is another one, which I love, but it's very similar in the fact that she suddenly was like the light and then she could kill anybody that she wanted. No, that doesn't, that doesn't happen. Stop doing it. But the one thing that I have found that I do enjoy is mainly from female writers is how they write about strong characters. And it is coming through a lot more now who maybe are either neurodivergent or don't really have a gender identity anymore. You know, I read a lot of books written by women and it's nice to see that they're now including more things about how they don't really know what they want out of life. They're just muddling along until something happens. And I think that's so true for so many women and men who are just kind of like going, I'll just muddle along until something comes along and then it'll be fine. So that's nice that that's now coming through a lot more. Yeah, I think it's more realistic and it makes the characters more relatable when that happens. Because, I mean, how many people do you know who finish school and then they're like, I don't know what I'm doing next. I'm just going to make it up as I go along. And yet the older generation is like, you've got to have a plan. You've got to know where you're going. And it's like, but you didn't have it figured out. So why should our generation? Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I think it's also, I've seen not so much books that I've reviewed, but books that I probably missed out on, where the synopsis is very much like, they finish university and they're in a they're in a dead end job. They're in a job that they don't enjoy. They've, this is something else that I don't appreciate. I didn't appreciate it in my 20s. And now that I'm in my 30s, I'm kind of like, oh, I can see why people do it. But every female character from a certain genre was a journalist or a marketing executive or an advertising or a high powered lawyer. It's like, not everybody does that. I worked in shipping for 14 years. Like, there is nobody out there who writes about somebody who works in a boring, dead-end admin role like I was in. But I don't really want to just hear about all the marketing executives and all the advertising executives anymore. I kind of want to see real, more real office jobs out there now. I think that's starting to come through a bit more where people are like, oh yeah, marketing isn't the be-all and end-all, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> let's, find a, let's find a different industry to work with now, please. <laughs> Yeah, I think marketing for a while was seen as kind of glamorous and now everyone's like, oh, it's actually not. It's getting really boring and overdone and it's not that interesting. Actually. Yeah, I think Mad Men helped put that 
that little rumour to bed because before then it was always like, oh yeah, you go to the parties and it was great. And the madmen came along and you were like, oh, they're all idiots. Like, why would you want to work in marketing? <laughs> yeah. One thing I tried to do when set when starting what happens in New York is both of my characters have dead end jobs. Yeah. And the ones who have good jobs don't necessarily like their good jobs because the pressures of them take such a toll on their mental and physical health. Yeah. And in the opening chapter, my main character rage quits her job because her boss is a misogynistic pig. And I have to say that writing those couple of chapters was actually quite cathartic for me based on previous experience that I've had, because I don't think people do talk about the fact that regardless of what job you're in, sometimes it's just not a healthy working environment and it's okay to say I am done. Yeah, absolutely. And I think think more books need to say that, that... There are so many readers out there who need to know that going to university is okay. Not going to university is okay. Having a crappy job when you're 17 is okay. Having a crappy job when you're 30 is okay. If you enjoy it, if you don't enjoy it, get out and do something else. And I think we're now starting to see that change in, certainly in romance and like women's literature, where it is coming across more that people don't have to stay in the job that they're in. You don't have to have a job for 50 years anymore. You can you can move about. There's so many other jobs out there and so many other skills that people can use. And I think that's a nice thing that people are getting into now. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's really important to show that because despite how many people say that romance and other genres don't set examples, they 100% do. I learned oh, yeah. about healthy relationships from reading fiction. I certainly didn't re- learn it from the people around me. No, absolutely. I'm exactly the same. I definitely learned more from reading books than I did from a lot of the people that I grew up with and around. Yeah, books do set examples. And I think when you see those characters doing these things, building that resilience and kind of the growth that you mentioned before that some of these fantasy books miss, it does have that subconscious effect in the same way that like listening to the Spice Girls had a subconscious effect on millions of girls and the messages of like girl power and safe sex. It does get in your head, even though you don't necessarily understand it at age six. Yeah, exactly. And I think we are now in a world where we're trying to make sure that everybody is represented. And I love that. I love that we're trying to get more representation, more diversity. But now we have to look at the real nitty gritty of it and go as as low down as possible and say to people, look, yes, a fantasy book, you will never, you're not going to be a wizard. I'm very sorry, you're not Harry Potter. <laughs> but if you read a romance book, yes, you can get a job and find the man of your dreams, if you want, or the woman of your dreams, or the person of your dreams. But you don't have to stay in that job just because somebody in a somebody in a different book did. Read this book where they got out and they did something different with their life and they 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 found that being happy was by being themselves and being by themselves. They didn't have a romance, you know. Maybe let's start writing books where the happy ending is just swanning off living on her own with a ton of cats and a biscuit tin. I don't know. Like, let's, <laughs> let's change the narration where it's okay to be on your own as well. It's okay to be in a relationship. It's okay to be on your own. It's okay to be different. It's okay to be the same as everybody. And I think that's what a lot of authors are now trying to tap into a bit more that it's okay not to have the 2.4 children and the the nice big house in London and the the beautiful, handsome husband. It's okay to just want to be on your own with your dog or your cat or your rabbit and it's just like let's just make that a new normal as well 
Yeah, definitely. One thing I quite like about the paranormal women's fiction genre, which is kind of my comfort read genre at the moment, is the fact that they nearly all open with a woman who's getting divorced. Yes. And that's not like kind of some schadenfreude about the fact they're getting divorced. It's the fact that they're taking control and going, I am done being your doormat. I am done with a shitty job because they usually <laughs> quit their job as well. And then they move to like some really creepy town that's got like shifters and where shifters and werewolves. What am I saying? They're practically the same. Um, <laughs> that have got all these magical creatures that introduce them to this whole new world. And it's almost like... Um, because you know like this whole thing about like you're over the hill when you're 40 and the number 40 means death and all that stuff my mum had this mug once when she turned 40 and it said that life begins at 40 Mm -hmm. and it almost feels like that's what that genre is it's about embracing your life and fulfilling your potential even if society tells you that you're over the hill because you've got a few wrinkles or because your hair's turning gray or because your husband has gone off with another woman I think that's exactly it and I am the same now this time of year is like my paranormal witchy autumn kind of genre and I don't read as much romance now this is like romance is summer winter is my paranormal witchy season and I love that because it's right when I got divorced eight years ago I started reading more books about divorced women and women who had had a huge change in their life and it did I was 25 when I got divorced it did make me feel more validated and it was like it's okay I'm gonna be okay because this woman did it. And although it's fiction, you kind of, it's like you said, you do take your role models from and it's like, hang on a second. I can absolutely be like this character. I can, I can do what I like. I can go where I want. And I think seeing that in more books would definitely help people who maybe haven't had nice, healthy relationships go, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to absolutely get back out there, get on your feet, go to a completely different village settle in and find a werewolf (laughs) (laughs) yeah when i was working on the ghost call book i didn't like necessarily think about the fact that neve could be a role model but i've realized how much of her is like me not the divorced part she's um, been widowed and divorced she doesn't have a lot of luck i've been in one relationship yeah exactly she's had a tough time Mm. and then she realizes her mother has lied to her entire life and also lied to her daughter um, so it's her mother who, who mother's dead, by the way, and her mother's still lying in ghost form. And um, I've realized, like, actually how my resilience has been channeled into my character because Neve is the kind of person like, yeah, OK, everything's going to shit, but I've got to keep going. So let's just keep going. And I didn't realize how rare that mindset was until I had a conversation with one of my friends recently. And. She was like, yeah, I love the fact that you just keep going. I'm like, well, I don't see any other option. And my characters are exactly the same. It's like something happens, you don't like it, but you can sit and you can wrap yourself in the duvet and never get out again. But A, that's not a story and B, that's not a life. So yeah, your story would be about four pages long. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And it wouldn't be that interesting, to be honest, because no. most stories are about transformation, right? Yes. And that's a common theme that you see in books nowadays. Certainly it's one of the main themes, transformation. But also I like ones where where you get an antihero and it's kind of like the Lokis and that sort of, how did they become bad? How, what happened to them? Like the Wicked's and the, I love the whole, the new Disney series that they've got out um, that I'll be reviewing probably next year when I eventually get around to reading something else other than whatever else I've got in my book review at the minute. But they do a lot about how, the villains and how they became bad and how what happened or alternative universes I kind of I also like that as well and I think when you come to it and you see a transformation like from somebody like one of your characters like Neve who had 
massively down in the look and then she suddenly just soared I think I like it going the other way I like it where they're riding high they're the queen of a castle and they've got everything they wanted and then but they don't get exactly what they want and they go well that just sucks doesn't it so I'm going to become evil it's like what (laughs) what happens what's that mindset how does that do, do people do that and I think they must do people must have that sort of entitlement and mindset to just go oh well everything's a bit rubbish gonna go and be a bit mean to people I'm gonna gonna be horrible I'm gonna be a troll because how else do people get that how else do people get that mindset yeah I think there is definitely a psychology there like we watch a lot of true crime documentaries and the patterns about childhood trauma it's there for nearly every person who goes on to become one of those like notorious serial killer types and it's nearly always either suppressed homosexuality or mother issues every time without fail Oh yeah, I love a good crime documentary. I love a good crime podcast. I I've, I have way too many on my list, but <laughs> um, there's always like yeah, they call it the um, is it the McDonald triumvirate where it's like if you had hit your head or you wet the bed as a child and you hurt animals, then you're a serial killer. And I'm just like looking at everybody I meet now, like how many of those <laughs> have you done in the past? And yeah, they all have mummy issues. Not very many serial killers have daddy issues, not in the same way as a mummy issue. They might have had an abusive dad, but it's not quite as put upon like when it's a daddy issue as it is when it's a mummy issue. And I think same with um, people who do things who are criminals, too much is focused on what their past was. But I know lots of people who have been in similar situations and are fantastic upstanding citizens. So is it a product of their upbringing or is it just them? But how does that, how, again, how does that work? And I think books that delve into that sort of mindset as part of their background are really interesting. I really like a a good crime, a good crime novel. But again, you have tropes in them. The retired detective who drinks and smokes too much, who's divorced and (laughs) has no, doesn't see his kids. It's just like, oh, okay, we've done that one now. Can we move on? Can we, can we have a nice, happy detective? Is that okay, please? (laughs) yeah I know what you mean it's like you've got to have the tropes but sometimes it's nice to have the tropes and then flip them on their head so things are a bit more interesting like I always like to make things bittersweet um the ending of my second afterlife cause book has a very bittersweet ending because they solved the mystery and something bad happened that I'm not gonna say because I don't (gasps) spoil it for listeners Ellie will tell me off because I blurt out spoilers sometimes (laughs) but I'd I'm just a really big fan of bittersweet endings because I think they are more um, realistic. Yes. And one of my favorite books actually does that. It ends on quite a significant cliffhanger with a lot of moral questions. And I just think that's really powerful. And it may be the kind of ending that some people don't like, but I think it's kind of genius, actually. No, I like endings like that. Have I read something like that recently? Not recently, I think. I think it was something that I've read a while ago that was very similar. It was kind of like, kind of like your book. They finished everything. Everything came to a head. But you knew, I knew that the author was writing another book. So I was like, well, something's got to happen, like in the last chapter, because I know she's written the next book. I know it's coming out. And it was, it was right, like the last page was just like, dun, dun, dun. I was like, (laughs) oh my, I need the next book. And that's the problem with series. I have to read a series when all the books are out. I can't read a series if I've got to wait for, another year for something i'm just like no absolutely not what about if like it's the kind of series that is just like ongoing how do you get around that uh i 
see, I do have a series like that by a lovely author, and I'm going to shout her out because I think she's aged. She's called Stephanie Lawrence, and she does um, historical fiction. So, like, throughout, she starts just before the Napoleonic Wars, I think, and she's still writing them, and there's been about 30-odd books. Wow. So she's, so she starts with one one set of the kids. So he it's a duke and, like, his family. His dad's dead. His mother is now obviously a dowager duchess. She's French. She's hilarious. I love her. It's very Bridgerton, but slightly less smutty than Bridgerton. And I like I do like the bit of smut, but Bridgerton sometimes I was a bit like, can we can we just skip this bit now? A bit awkward. So she's still right. So she's gone through the whole of the first generation. Now she's on to I think the third generation. So she's done the the original children, then their children, now she's on to their children. And because they're all very similar, they all have the same sort of storyline. Boy meets girl, they have an argument, they fall out, they eventually get married. It's fine. It's an easy read. I can read them without having all of them. But there are occasions where I'll go, oh, I'll just read the first six because they're the originals and I like, they're my favourite. So I'll read the first ones then I'll do the next set. And so, yeah, every time a new one comes out, I'm like, oh, I'll just read the first one again just to get back into the spirit <laughs> of things. And my poor mum is just like, can I borrow them? I'm like, no, no, mum, they're mine. I'll buy you a set. I'll buy you a set on Kindle because they're all on there and I can just do it for nothing. But you're not having my books. <laughs> yeah, I'm like that. I'm always reluctant to lend people books as well. Yeah, no, no books leave this house unless it's with me. <laughs> and they come back like with me. <laughs> Um, just circling back to the psychology before I forget, by the way, mm-hmm. there's a really good nonfiction book that is about the psychology of criminals. Okay. And it's written by a psychiatrist who helped them basically work through their issues and why they committed their crimes and stuff. It's called The Devil You Know by Gwen, Dr. Gwen Adsed. It's okay. really good. And like the style of it is kind of fictiony. It's not like a heavy book. Well, it is emotionally heavy, but the language <laughs> isn't heavy. And like, oh, she's good. got lots of stats and things to back up the points that she's making as well. And it is the kind of book that stays with you. And sometimes you need a break to really think about it because mm. it's like, wow, <laughs> just wow. You know, some of these people do go on to become better people. And some of them are forever stuck in this cycle of self-hatred and wanting to see the world burn. Yeah. And I think that... I think I, I would have to, I've got to get that book. I think that's the problem with a lot of criminals and like psychiatrists and psychologists and things where how do you know when there's no point? How do you know when to stop and just say, I can't save that person. Unfortunately, just need locking away. And that's all we can do for them. We can give them therapy, we can try and rehab them. But what? where's the stopping point where you think, they can become a good person or where do you just go they're never going to change this is just who they are unfortunately but I I think that sort of book would be a very good read for someone like me who is a huge true crime enthusiast and uh, probably a bit too much of a true crime enthusiast Craig would probably be like no more books on true crime (laughs) can't cope with it (laughs) I actually read it as research for one of my upcoming characters because this person does very bad things and is a bit of a narcissist, but I didn't want to portray him as completely cold. I want him to feel three-dimensional, even yeah. though he kind of has a one-track mind, which is just 
him. Yes. Typical narcissist. Oh, yeah. When it comes to actually putting together a book review, where would you say the best place to actually share a book review is? So I do mine on, I have a book blog that I post on my book reviews on. I share them to my Instagram and my Twitter. Um, but most people do them on Instagram. And then you've got Amazon, Goodreads, wherever you normally buy your books from. Waterstones is a very good one because it, it's obviously one of, apart from Amazon, it's one of the biggest booksellers in the world. So you get you get a lot of people reviewing on there. Unfortunately for indie publishers, it's not great because they probably won't be in Waterstones. But yeah, definitely Amazon, Goodreads. There is another book review site out that's very similar to Goodreads, um, but I can't remember what it is at the minute. But they are trying to get on board with Amazon. So they have an exclusive, they work exclusive with Amazon, like Goodreads do, to kind of make sure that they've got reviews. But you can put your review in Amazon and it will automatically go into your account on this app. So if you go on this app, you all, you you won't have to put them on both, which is what I have to do now, which is why none of them are on there because I just don't have the time. <laughs> but yeah, Amazon is the main one for most indie and self-published authors, I would say. What would be your tips for anyone looking to become a book blogger or a book reviewer, like how to get started? I would just set up an Instagram. That's my first thing. That's what I started. I didn't have a book blog website or anything when I started I just set up on Instagram and review books that you've got at home so just read a book review it in an objective way look at what other people how other people review it get into the the great book review like Twitter and Instagram um which is such a, a friendly community and that is how I started and then if you're going to be doing it more or less as your only thing that you that you do outside of work and it's a massive hobby I know people who literally review two or three books a day wow. and it's just like ah, I can barely get through two a week and I'm yeah. a fast reader <laughs> but these people must have book reviews lined up for months and they just go yeah I'll just post that one now so I would definitely get onto Instagram get a good read and Amazon account so you can review on there and and just speak to people who do it already just get on the bookstagram um, community, get on the, the book Twitter community and connect and see how other people are doing it. And there is, there's always room for more reviewers. You can never have too many reviewers for your book ever. So if you are an author who wants to get onto people to reviews, definitely check out Instagram because there's flipping loads of us out there who review books and we're not going to say no to a freebie. So... <laughs> We will always take free free books. In terms of the book's content itself, what do you think we need to see more of in books? I think more diversity. I read a lot of books about white people, white people who have a gender. And it's just like, that's fine for me because I am a white female. I am straight. So it's kind of like, for me, that should be my ideal book but I kind of want to read about other experiences I want to read about transgender and black people and people of color and things like that and and see where other mindsets go and I think there is so much more out there that I just maybe don't see because I must have a very white bookstagram and I kind of want to read more about different types of people 
so I can view it so I can know more and I know I always want to learn more about those sort of different diverse um people and how they how they live their lives and again as we've said crime can we have a happy detective please (laughs) just just one just one happy detective and I'll be happy and also um make sure that your female characters are a bit in as a 3D character, these people are meant to be real. Like they're not meant to be just a one-dimensional person on a page. They're meant to you are meant to make your reader think that they're actually there, that they can imagine themselves in that situation. And if you're writing about a woman who literally all she does all day is flit about and float and she just wears floaty dresses. There are plenty of women who do just wear floaty dresses and flit about, I'm sure, but it's not for it's not for a lot of readers because it's not the majority. So I think, yeah, better writing for women, more diversity, happier detectives. And no woman walks around staring at their boobs all day? No. Or wants to be reduced to a walking pair of boobs either? No, no. And I think women also deserve to be a bit more than just boobs and legs now. Yeah. We're, in, we're in 2021 come on let's and please also this is just another thing this is also for movies can we stop women running in high heels everywhere oh god go? yeah I don't, I don't know any woman apart from my sister who would be able to run in a pair of high heels ridiculous I, I used to when I was younger but they were the fat yes. chunky ones not stilettos I couldn't yeah. run in stilettos I would kill myself yeah I don't know I, yeah I just don't think it works. And the long floaty hair in fight scenes. Yes, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Long hair is so impractical. <laughs> and I've been growing mine out now for a couple of years because it used to be in a bob. And it's amazing like how much more it gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And like one of my friends has hair like down to her waist. And the amount of time she's like, yeah, just fell in the washing up water or it's in my food. <laughs> Yeah. Or it's in this stuff that I'm cleaning up that's really gross. And no one talks about it. No, <laughs> it's, like, oh, it's, it's glamorous. Yeah. No, it's and not. not. All these women who are just perfectly, perfectly dressed and perfectly hair, perfectly done. They've been through a major trauma and they've still got the eyeliner on. It's like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Interestingly, when you were saying about the diversity, one of the authors that I'm interviewing in a couple of weeks, Savannah Cage, she covers a lot of diverse characters. She's got a neurodivergent main character in her book. I think it's called Gifted. Loved that. It was basically like reading about an American version of my boyfriend. And in the series, there is also a cover with a black male lead on it. Oh, and okay. that one has the fewest reviews. Oh. I think that speaks volumes because it's halfway through the series as well. And I'm like, I actually kind of want to read this to see like what happens and stuff. But I just... Well, I want to read the whole series. I want to read all the books because I love them. But I just found that really interesting. Like, I think that only had about six reviews compared to the others that were in the tens or the hundreds. It doesn't compute, does it? I've just read a book called Clairvoyance, um, which is about a a guy who finds out that he is a clairvoyant. He's a kinetic. He's part of an elite team of people. And um, he is black. The writer is black and he's a man. He's Brady Moore. He's very, he's a very, very good writer. And I loved his book, but his book on Amazon is far less reviewed than the other book that he's written, which has a female white character on the front. 
It's ridiculous. But the Clairvoyance book is amazing. Such a good book. So different to anything that I've read before, even though it's about superpowers and a man. I liked it more because it was about a boy who found out he had a superpower. So it was something that I've I've read so many books about girls who find out they're the save of the world and they have to fight bad people. And this was a boy and I was just like, I know it's so overdone, but I was like, oh my God. And not only is he a boy, he's a black boy. And he's like, well, he's probably in his late teens, he's probably 18, he's a man. But I was just like, whoa, this, this is not something that I've read before. And I'm sure it's out there and I'm sure plenty of people will be like, oh my God, it's so overdone, I can't read it. But it's not something that I've ever seen. As a review, and I've been reading books since I was five. So I've, I've read quite a few. I'm quite well up on how many books are out there. But yeah, and his books are far less reviewed than people in the same genre who have a white female character on the cover. Which is just baffling. I mean, from a traditional publishing standpoint, they probably wouldn't get the same marketing budget. Mm -hmm. But for an indie, I'm assuming he's indie. Yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. Like, it does make you wonder because you assume readers of indie authors are a bit more open-minded because they don't Mm -hmm. really care about the gatekeeper and stuff. But... Yeah, it just baffles me. It it blew my mind when I was reviewing it and I was just like, how come this guy isn't getting all the awards for for this set of books? And I think he's doing a whole series, so I hope he is because they're amazing. But yeah, it did baffle me that I would have thought that even though it was a black person, that it was a man, so it would have been better. It would have ranked higher but yeah, there's obviously still that that little bit of uh, casual racism in, in book reviewing people. Unfortunately, I think there is. And I don't know how diverse the book review industry is, but it shows like it's probably not as diverse as it could be. There is not that support for those books that talk about stories that are not about the white, cis, straight person. I know Sasha Black, she's... Um, working on a project and I think she's going to review a hundred LGBTQ primarily Alan B um, books I think mostly YA as well but yeah it's kind of one of those projects she's got in the back burner and it's because those books are just so hard to find Mm. and she wants to see more stories that she can relate to yeah exactly who who wouldn't exactly it's like like I love my son is five and we're reading we're starting to read a lot of what he calls chapter books because they're not picture books and they're they're quite big and chunky and they've got chapters in and he likes reading them. But we're reading The Christmasaurus by Tom Fletcher because it's about a boy in a wheelchair. And although he isn't disabled, he was like, he just wanted to read it because he loved the front cover of this boy in a wheelchair. And he was like, I want to know about him, mum. I want to... He also just loves Tom Fletcher, which he obviously mm. gets from his mother. So mm. it was just fair. like... I, I get that. I get that. We have all the Tom Fletcher books in our house. <laughs> so it's fine. But yeah, he wanted to read it because it had a... Because it was different. It was something that he'd never seen before. He's never... He, he doesn't live a very sheltered life, but he's never really come across a child in a wheelchair before. And we're quite lucky that his school is really diverse. Um, he is one of only two maybe three white children in his class. So it's it's nice that he does have that nice, rich diversity in his class, which is why he wanted to read more books about disabled children, neurodivergent children, and children who are, are, are black, or we're going to start looking at different families 
and blended families because we've got a few people in our lives who have blended families now. So it's nice to be able to see books for children that educate them of that rather than me having to go at 30. Oh, I never knew that existed. Where, where was that book when I was five? And I think the YA community do that really well in terms yeah. of being able to bring across more diverse. I think because of the age, I mean, I read a lot of YA and I'm in my 30s, but I love YA. And because I think it, it speaks to people more than traditional adult literature. Yeah. It moves it faster as well. I think. Yeah. And sometimes I just want a really good series. They're very good at a series in YA. They are. And they there's no like fluff. You have to get to the point because teenagers have such short attention spans mm-hmm. now that they're just going to go on TikTok or something if oh, you're yeah. not gripping them fast enough. Y- you say teenagers. I-, I, will absolutely go- I will absolutely go on TikTok if a book is not gripping me enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be fair, most of the breeders of YA are actually adult females, aren't they? Um, yeah I, and I it, think I'm one of the few people who doesn't go on TikTok my friend keeps linking me to stuff and I'm like the app is just like uninstalled on my phone because I haven't opened it in forever I keep trying to publish on that I'm like I can't do it I can't I don't publish anything on it I, I do do a lot of book kind of try and go and book things on TikTok but I often just delve into Harry Potter head cannons <laughs> on TikTok which is really bad because then I get loads of ideas for plots and I'm like I wonder if I could get away with writing it and I think I can if I go back far enough, I'm writing Harry Potter TikTok fan fiction. <laughs> the last rabbit hole I fell down on there was the mummy fan stuff. Oh, yeah. I am obsessed with the mummy. <laughs> no shame. The, the 90s version with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. Just Obviously. Obviously. Yeah, we, the, the remake didn't happen. It didn't. No. no. It doesn't exist in people's minds. No, that was two hours of my life. I will never get back. It's very rare. <laughs> I regret things, but that was one I regretted. Which is a shame because the poster really scared me. So I hoped the film would be a nice kind of horror thriller type thing. No. No, it wasn't. No. no. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> you obviously read a lot of books, but is there one in particular that you can pinpoint and go, that one changed my life? That was like groundbreaking. Yes, I can. And it is actually a terrible book. People laugh at me when I say this book because... The, the original book that it's a sequel of is very, 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 very troublesome now. And it has been troublesome for a very long time. It was troublesome when they made the film in the 1930s. It's Gone with the Wind. So I read Gone with the Wind when I was about 11, 12. My mum had no shame. She was just like, just read. Don't care what it says. You're reading it. But our copy of Gone with the Wind had the back three pages missing. Yeah, the best three pages of the whole book, in my opinion. And uh, they were all missing. So we had to offer you slow. I used to read it and then just go to the library and finish the book in the library. So there was a lady who wrote a sequel to Gone with the Wind in the, I would say, 70s or 80s. And it's called Scarlet. And it's about how Scarlet has lost pretty much everybody. Everybody that she knows is pretty much dead. And she decides to try and find her ancestors in Ireland. So she gets on a boat and hops on over to Ireland from America, and she has loads of adventures. But it is a terrible book. It is absolutely horrendous. But it is one of my favourite ever books, because it is so ridiculous. She gives birth on a table in a farmhouse in the middle of a thunderstorm, with nobody there with her. She calls the child cat. What person in 
I mean, this is from the Indi- from Civil War, isn't it? So it was like, what, the 1700s, 1800s? There was nobody called Cat back then. I'm not being funny. Uh, no. But it really opened my eyes to see how a writer could get really carried away with a plot and just go, I'm just going to go all out. I don't care. Let's just write this book. And it's what got me into writing to begin with. Um, I was probably about 13 or 14 when I read Scarlet. And... Yeah, I used to write alternative endings to it. And there are probably notebooks in landfills somewhere around the Northwest with my writings as a 13-year-old rewriting the ending to Scarlet because I don't even remember what happens at the end. I think I think she goes back home. It's been that long since I've read it, but it is still, there is so much in it. It's a really chunky book. It's probably about 600, 700 pages. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a Game of Thrones challenger in terms of page length. But yeah, it's one of them books that you read and the whole way through you're like, well, this wouldn't happen. <laughs> and this wouldn't happen. And even as a 13-year-old, as a I love history. So even as a 13-year-old, I was like, well, this definitely wouldn't have happened in whatever age it was, 1800 and something. I was like, not a chance. This is ridiculous. But it, it helped me realise how authors just can absolutely get carried away and just go, I don't care. <laughs> I'm just going to write a book because I want to write it. I don't care if anybody reads it. <laughs> yeah, I think there is a fine line between going all in and leaning into it with confidence and then just going batshit. Yeah. And this this woman, I can't remember her name, the author, but she just went a bit batshit. <laughs> <laughs> if our listeners want to check out your book reviews or find out a little bit more about you, where can they find you? So I have a lot of social media um, but my book reviews are on Instagram at books with underscore Gina. My I'm on Twitter as Gina Wright here, as in Gina W-R-I-T-E here, which is also the name of my company right here right now. And my book blog is bookswithgina.co.uk. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been really fun. Thank you very much, Christina. Did you find this episode enlightening? Don't forget to hit that shiny, shiny subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Or if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit like and subscribe. It helps other writers find our videos and lets us know what kind of content you want more of. And don't forget, you can support the writer's mindset over on Patreon for less than your favourite coffee a month. Join us to listen to bonus episodes to help you improve your craft and your mindset, get early access to episodes and more. Visit patreon.com forward slash writer's mindset today to join our gang. See you next time. Keep writing.